Listener Production. When it comes to art, there are hundreds, thousands of notable figures, but only a few solidify their place in history. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Claude Monet. His ambitious paintings like water lilies and women in the garden are still the subject of high school art history nearly a century later. But what was it about Monet's work that captivated its viewers? Was it the bold colours or soft brush strokes that melt into the canvas? The landscapes that give us a fleeting glimpse into his life. In music too. You know, what was it about the line, we all live in a yellow submarine, that launched Beatlemania? What Monet and the Beatles practised more than most was creativity. Their work was innovative, imaginative, boundary-pushing. I mean, Monet was the founding father of the Impressionist movement that kind of turned the art world upside down at the time. Monet probably didn't know this at the time, but when you embark on creative pursuits, not only do you create something beautiful, but you also strengthen your brain's neural pathways. You create new or strengthen existing connections that help us to problem solve, that reinforce our memories, that create our sense of self, all critical in the upkeep of a healthy mind. And as we know now, helps in the prevention of devastating conditions like dementia as we age. Associate Professor Helen English and Professor Frini Karyanidis are undertaking critical research exploring the effects of creativity on the minds of ageing adults, so better policies and programs can be formed that enrich the lives and minds of our senior citizens. And you don't have to be Monet or the Beatles to reap these benefits. Because being creative is not about being good. It's about using your imagination and thinking outside the box. And you can start at any point in time. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington. I'm a Wandy Wandy yarn and Geringer woman. And I'm from the University of Newcastle. And this is The Minds Changing Lives. Well, I'm Joan Gibbs and I live in the Alton Villas Retirement Village at Coorumbong. I grew up in Joadja, an old shale mining ghost town out of Mittagong. And I did all my schooling with my three brothers through correspondence because we were 14 miles out of Mittagong, no school bus. I grew up with a, a very loving family. My father was a sheep farmer for wool and... Um, Yeah, we had no electricity, no telephone, just had a very carefree childhood, I guess. Ever since I was a young girl, I felt the calling to be a nurse. When I was 16, I left home. Yeah, I went to Sydney, to the Sydney Adventist Hospital, as it's known now, and um, worked there for a year before I got into the nursing course. Growing up in the 50s like Joan, a participant of the Creative Ageing Program, without electricity and the means to go to school in person, creativity was a necessity. Any nurses listening to this would also know that thinking outside the box and problem solving is stock standard. 
But when it came to the more well-known creative skills, like art or music, well, Joan wouldn't exactly call herself Paul McCartney. I'm apparently a bit tone deaf. I appreciate good music, but my family weren't musical. I did um, fiddle with a piano when I was younger. And when I started nursing, I went up to grade one, but then the nursing took over. At 75 years old, Joan thought her days of musical pursuits were behind her until Associate Professor Helen English walked into her community village with a proposal to be part of an exciting new research program. And all Joan had to do, well, learn how to compose a song. We'd meet on a Thursday morning. There were 10 of us. We'd divide into two groups and each group had to compose overall two, two songs. That meant writing the song and then we had assistance with Claudia in putting suitable music to it. Oh, very cool. And was that all new to you, Joe? Oh, yes, very new to me. But it's been a great exercise to expand the mind and learn a bit more about the music world. As we age, we, we want to give back. We want to create meaning out of our lives. And the common thing that people know is that music activates more parts of the brain than anything else. So people who have been unable to move due to severe Parkinson's can come out of their catatonic state and start moving when music is playing because it actually sends a signal to that part of the brain that makes movement. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, that's one of the really mind-blowing stories about music. Helen English is an associate professor in the School of Humanities, Creative Industries and Social Sciences. A musician herself, her understanding of the effects of music on the mind, body and emotions uniquely qualify her to be the co-director of the Creative Ageing Research Team. Music gives you access to emotions and to feeling emotions. So somebody famously wrote something, which is, why do people listen to sad music? Well, they listen to sad music so they can experience the sadness they're feeling fully and work through it. There are so many things about music when you make music with other people, the sort of the exchanges. Because it's not spoken, it's not a spoken language music, it's another form of communication. So it's kind of hard to explain, but almost spiritual, I suppose. And then creating music is very fulfilling. It's just beautiful to create, I guess. So you kind of were into music and then went into the science of it, hey? Yeah, I guess that's that's right. For my PhD thesis, which I did very late, I'm a late bloomer in the <laughs> academic world. For that, I really wanted to find out what what is this power that music has? Can we analyse it? Can we talk about it? So I did that really mostly through a sociological lens of how people use music in every day to make themselves feel good and, you know, to create identities and things like that and build community. So then I carried that over into what what are people doing today, like hunter music communities, what are they doing? That was my first project. And then that gradually spread into creative ageing. It's such a powerful thing. When did you suspect or figure out that music could have an impact on the ageing mind in your work? Well, when I started doing those community, looking at, you know, what were brass bands doing or a swing band in Blackles Park that I was very fond of, and I realised they're mostly old adults who are in those groups because they have the time. I think something that was really powerful for me was when I first went in there, everybody introduced themselves and then told me their ages. So that was the first thing. I was like, <laughs> so proud of their ages. 
And then they, but they were going out and playing in hospices when they themselves were, you know, average age, 80. And they were going out to hospices and sharing their love of music and seeing, you know, somebody who wasn't able to move, seeing their toes wiggle and being really thrilled about that. Wow. So that, that was really powerful for me. Associate Professor English is currently leading two creative projects. The first is a fellowship exploring how transformative music participation can be widened in ageing populations and developing guidelines to support communities and organisations wanting to offer music making. The second is this pilot study, gathering scientific evidence on the impacts of creativity on brain structure and functioning. The biggest thing for people is having a sense of meaning. Giving people a chance to be creative can help with that creation of meaning. The other thing is just in purely in terms of, of well-being benefits. The more you're engaged and in that sense of flow where you don't notice time anymore and you're really absorbed and working with others on something, the more you get into that state, the better are the benefits, the stronger are the well-being benefits. So, But actually looking for some scientific evidence of changes in the brain. We're trying to establish evidence that being engaged in either the music, so there's the songwriting, and we also have an art-making component over this 10-week period, will show improvements in in people's feeling of self-efficacy, if you like, how well they feel in themselves, but also in measures of cognition. So are they performing better on particular cognitive tasks. This is cognitive neuroscientist Professor Frini Karyanidis. She's a director of the Functional Neuroimaging Lab and co-director of the Hunter Medical Research Institute's Healthy Minds Research Program. In my view, a biased view as a cognitive neuroscientist, I also want to see, is their brain processing information differently? So can we see changes in their electroencephalogram, EEG, that suggest that particular networks, and especially those frontal networks, are working differently? Why? Well, because most of the research in creative ageing activities or creativity generally focuses more on what people feel, and that's very important. But being able to show also that a program like that changes the brain, gives us evidence of its potential long-term impacts. What is it doing? And if we were maintaining people's engagement in these types of programs, are we creating protective mechanisms in the brain that in the longer term will reduce their chances of dementia or delay the onset of cognitive decline? Along with Dr Sharon Savage and Dr Michelle Kelly, Associate Professor English and Professor Carrie Unidas were able to secure funding from Dementia Australia to conduct this research. But to understand the impact of creativity on healthy minds, we have to understand how cognition works first. What, what is the brain doing when we talk about cognition? You can think of our brain as having a system of hierarchical processing centres, if you like. Information comes through our senses, action comes out of our motor systems. How those 
senses pick up information, it becomes perception, is very individual and can be can vary as a function of a number of things, including fatigue, including our social biases and so forth. And then what we do with that perception is what you can think of as our cognition. Okay, so we are interacting at the moment. We're getting a lot of There's input. a lot going on. There's a lot yeah. going on. <laughs> you know, I'm in an fam- unfamiliar environment and I'm trying to explain something in a way that is understandable. Cognition can be said at a basic level to be our ability to integrate that information from all of these sources of information and use that to make decisions on a point-by-point basis. And then you've got your sort of your higher-level cognition. We call them higher-order cognitive processes that help us regulate our behaviour at a higher level. Should I consider how my decision now will affect other people? Right. Yeah, I can park in a disability car park because it suits me, but what will it do to someone else? Right. I can make this decision because it'll give me pleasure right away, but if I try and drive after this, you know, if drunk a bit too much, how may I impact somebody else's life? And something that comes to my mind, you've seen those diagrams where the brain is split up into different colours and different sections. Is that real? Is there different parts of the brain that are in control of different things? Definitely. Yeah. But not in that blob type of way. So, yes, our frontal lobes, the front part of our brain, is the one that does this more higher order thinking. But it doesn't do it by itself. It does it by connecting with every other part of the brain. So we operate in networks. In some degrees, our brain is organised in terms of left and right, left more language, right more spatial. There are things, left more logic, right more emotion, but not again in hard borders. Mm. Some of them are hard borders. So, for example, language in most people is in the left hemisphere. If you damage your left hemisphere, you're likely to lose language. But others are not quite as hard-lined borders. Whether we differ genetically in how our brains are wired, which makes you more of a creative person and me more of a rational thinking person or scientific thinking person, Mm. that is a product of a combination perhaps of some genetic foundation, very much with our environmental influences. Dementia is the second leading cause of death of Australians, the leading cause for women. And it doesn't just affect the individual. It's estimated that almost 1.6 million people in Australia are involved in the care of someone living with dementia. But dementia isn't inevitable. Our risk of dementia starts from conception. And some of those risk factors we cannot change. But some we can starts with your genetic background, things you cannot change. It increases with age. You can't change that. But you can change so many other things, Mm. whether it's education, whether it's connectedness and social well-being of children, the feeling of family, the lifestyle factors, the avoidance of risk factors, whether it's drugs and alcohol or whatever um, risk factors you have and promoting and maintaining a healthy lifestyle Mm. increases your chances that you will be cognitively healthy for longer. Mm. 
the classes? You know, we will get to song composition and art, but what's the structure? The first thing is to draw people in is start with something they know and like. So before we start, we have a questionnaire and they, they nominate the songs or the music or the art they like. In the first session, facilitator encourages them to start talking about the music and why they like it and what they notice about it. And that gets them thinking about music and how it's made, <laughs> how it's put together. We would sort of come up with the words of a song and um, then we had to sort of, I guess, prune it and replace words and all that sort of thing to get it all to fit with guidance from the people from Newcastle. And then they moved to music choices, which, you know, the tempo, the beat, the feel, the instrumentation, all those things, depending on their level of music before, might be anything from do you like this chord this chord or this chord and it's usually here's four chord sequences which one would you like we'd make suggestions as to what musical instruments would go with the song it's actually very interesting shani because the first one we chose our little group chose the item of or the topic of memories and and life and i have been a, a very active bushwalker over the years my husband used to lead a church bushwalking group in melbourne and we sort of, I've got the thought of making life's journey a bit like a bushwalk and so on. And um, we sort of um, put together a bit, a few words for the chorus. And that night in bed, I went it all through my mind and I guess got the inspiration from above, I say. And I put the verses together and I had to get up and write them down before I could go to sleep, of course. <laughs> When inspiration hits. Right, you've got to do something. And then the next week we um, looked at it as a group and sort of got it into order, took a couple of weeks to do that, and then we worked on the music to go with it. Was memory something that you all, you know, find really significant, something that you did want to talk about in the song? I guess, um, you know, I'm 75 now and I guess a lot of us are in our 70s and it's good to... At this stage of life, when you're retired, to find some time to reflect. Living in the country where life is quiet and free, or in the noisy city where there's so much to see, climbing up life's mountains, wide vistas to behold, walking in dark valleys where the air is damp and cold. Life is good and full of memories. Life is good with challenges too. The way you choose to walk it is really up to you. It's really up to you. Memories remind us of how it used to be. The future is before us, the path we're yet to see. There can be much confusion as through this life we plod, but there's a calm reassurance in a quiet walk with God. song you're hearing, well, that's the song Joan and her group created from scratch. But as you heard, music wasn't the only program running as part of the research. I've never been a person 
who like to express themselves in artwork. I appreciate that there are a lot of people who are mm. that sort of creative. They have this sort of inbuilt motivation. They have to they have to do it, but I'm not like that. This is Doug. As the um, facilitator will say, draw what's in your mind. And I'm thinking, I have absolutely nothing in my mind at the moment. <laughs> Doug was part of the art program. And if you haven't guessed already, he never thought of himself as much of a Monet. But he did surprise himself a little. So, Doug, tell us about, you know, what did the art class look like? What was a normal program, when you, a day in the program for you? Well, actually, we're on Zoom. Mm. The facilitator is there on the big screen. Yeah. We've got one or two other people buzzing around making sure we've got what we need. Starts with relaxation. Drop your shoulders. Take five deep breaths. Let them out. Okay, so all feeling cool. And then she says, okay, I want you to draw anything you like that comes to your mind and I'll give you three minutes. So away we go. The timer starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then for our major work in the session, she introduces a piece of artwork, a local artwork, local artists, uh, and we, we have to study it quietly for uh, a few minutes and then we talk about it. She introduces some technical aspect of artwork, you know, doing lines or, and then we get a chance to, um, to do something like it or, or to use the techniques that she's, she's introduced to us. I'm, I'm getting used to it and I think, despite myself, I'm actually enjoying it. In art, you will need more of a motor. You will need very much a visual perception. You'll need to interpret that visual information into a, a schema that then you produce. And you can see that in the totally different art forms that people bring out. So mm. some of them are very much accuracy-based. I want it to be an exact representation and other people will draw it like a Picasso. When you think of songwriting, well, first of all, it's much more an interactive activity because it's a group songwriting. You have to negotiate with others in terms of what the theme of the song will be. So you're doing different type of activities and then you're also listening to what is coming through and making decisions. But they've got the same social levels. You're still working with people. They've got the same engagement of the top-down controls, we call it the higher-order cognitive processes. Does our brain change in the way that it works, I guess in the way that it communicates within itself, with the outside world. Can you paint a picture for us about the body and how, how the brain, does it do it all or does it change in the way that it communicates with different aspects? Totally, totally. Our, our brain, we used to think that our brain develops sort of in early childhood and adolescence and reaches some plateau in adulthood and then stays still until it starts to decline and we get dementia. Now we know that those pathways are not quite like that. Some right. abilities continue to develop throughout and older adults, especially language, well-known information, our semantic knowledge, our knowledge of the world, continues to improve 
Whereas other things like the speed with which we respond to things starts to slow down even as early as mid-20s, mid-30s. But where we are on that trajectory, if you like, where we are as individuals depends to some degree on the genetic foundations that we have and then to a large degree on our experiences. And at any point in time, our experiences can change our brain. We now know that there is no point at which the brain cannot learn and change. Do you think it's important to keep challenging yourself as you get older? It sounds like you've got a pretty full diary as it is. Oh, yes. You're right. Keeping active is is very important. We both lead pretty busy lives. We're involved in so many other things. By the time Friday morning comes, it's almost a relaxation to walk down to <laughs> art class. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's been good. And, and what do your kids think about you becoming an artist at, at this age? Thinking that Dad is actually involved in um, artwork would be a bit of a giggle for them, actually. You're never too old to do art. <laughs> yes, that's it. There was one person in the art group who I went along in, I think, week two or three, and she said, please take a photo of me with my artwork because my I cannot do art and my children will never believe <laughs> I know what some kids are getting for Christmas. <laughs> I think... Adaptation is one of the biggest challenges with ageing and you've got to see it as a positive, not a negative, because otherwise you fall into that thing where older Mm. people are just labelled as, you know, not so useful. So adapting is helped if you have sort of an open-mindedness and you problem-solve and those are definitely helped by being creative. You know, as Western-educated, industrial, rich, democratic societies, we invest a lot in the developmental stages. We educate children, probably not enough, don't get me wrong, but in early childhood, in education, in prevention of drug and alcohol abuse, in prevention of deaths by transport. We invest a lot in educating professionals. All of that investment leads to generations of older people who have been the beneficiaries of this. Mm. And then they retire and we say, go and live in a protected, you know, facility. And we waste that investment that we've done, but also this fantastic resource of people. Of course. So I think it doesn't make sense financially. Economically for a country, it doesn't make sense from policy-wise. The more we empower people to maintain their independence, their ability to contribute to society, the happier populations are and the more valued the younger generations see. So rather than calling it the ageing problem, (laughs) I'd say we've got huge resources that we can tap into. When you actually make something, that sense of self, of agency comes back because you are doing something. You have control in your everyday life. You might not have the same control as you used to, but you can control that piece of art or whatever it is you want to crochet. Mm. For example, which I do. <laughs> Gardening is also very good. It's often not necessarily the creative activity, but the full engagement in it that's really important. We know that the proportion of older people in the in society is growing. We know that there's a risk of an increased prevalence of dementia. 
the more we can do to detect early changes, use programs to intervene and maintain healthy cognition and healthy social interactions, then we increase the chances of providing quality of life for longer and staving off the onset of dementia. Not only did Joan and Doug pick up a new skill, but they're also re-establishing old ones like teamwork. Joan now has a newfound appreciation for music and a confidence to continue challenging herself as she ages. We're in church now and singing the songs or the hymns from our overhead. I look and sort of say, oh, yeah, that rhymes with that and that thought flows through and you can see how um, different people work to get messages through and the construction of songs and hymns. The mechanics of it all, hey, behind the curtain. That's so true, yeah, and the thoughts behind it, yeah. I think to expand the mind, you know, I like to read a lot. I do a bit of Sudoku. I play words with friends online. It's good to expand the mind with those things and um, it's good to try new things. I saw this as more of a challenge. It's all a big picture where you've got to keep your body healthy, your mind active, social connections, all that sort of comes into play and a trust and faith. Yeah, it all comes in to help the overall picture. Pulling these programs together took a mountain of effort from many, many people. Psychologists trained psychology students to do testing. Facilitators came in to teach music or art. Musicians mixed the recordings to get to the masterpiece you heard just before. And of course, the creative ageing research team and the participants who made it all possible. And, you know, what's next for the program, the Creative Ageing Program? Well, we have to run some more of these courses next year, but I'll also be going out and looking for musical hotspots where there's a lot of music happening and it's flowing through to the sort of older adults in the communities and I'll be doing that participatory research and hopefully finding people to be co-receptors in the community, which would be great. We need to strengthen the statistical the scientific aspects of it. The numbers. The numbers. And be able to say there was a statistically significant change or evidence for strong evidence for change. So that would be part one. And then looking at what were the components of the program that most strongly contributed to that change. And then saying, okay, so we've got an interesting couple of programs and we know what aspects of them work best. Now, how do we bring in Indigenous groups and say, well, what works for you? Are you interested? And if you are, what would make that suitable for your community or different communities? Because not all Indigenous communities are the same. Take it to um, recent migrant groups, uh, refugee groups, whatever it is, and say, let's work together and identify how do you make a program both scientifically evidence-based, but also culturally appropriate. Then we'll be going and applying for more grants so we can do more studies and have larger numbers and convincing results. I I was just about to say, I know, is it too soon to say? Can we not reveal anything? Do you feel like it's promising outcomes? Oh, yes, definitely promising. Yeah, definitely. We spoke about the participants having that sense of accomplishment or pride 
having done something they hadn't done before. Is there a similar feeling for you watching them go through that journey and coming out the other side? Oh, yeah, always, yes. Same as when I worked with young people. It's just amazing to see the changes in people's perception of themselves, I guess. Keep your brain active as often and as much as you can. That's the message, really, isn't it? That's the message. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, well, he's taking his own advice on board and continuing to challenge himself every day, teaching an Iranian refugee family how to speak English online, proving that it doesn't need to be art or music to keep your brain creative. Good work, Doug. And Joan, well, she has these words of wisdom to leave with you too. I guess the thing that I've learnt most, and it comes out in this song, is that um, life does have meaning and purpose. We're not to live for ourselves and look at the challenges of life. Is something you don't have to face alone. It's something that we feel intrinsically every time we engage in art, music, gardening, crochet, crosswords, expressing creativity no matter what form it comes in. It helps us understand the world, our place within it, and ourselves, no matter what stage of life we're in. Programs that nourish healthy minds are invaluable in ageing populations. And soon, we might just have the scientific evidence that supports programs like these for all senior citizens. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington, produced by Kelsey Menzies, executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.